Ko te reo, te mauri o te mana Māori. E te iwi whakapiri mai whakatata mai ki a te ahi kā, ko Maraia Rakraku ahau. Welcome back, I'm Maraia Rakraku and this is Te Ahi Kā, Radio New Zealand's Māori Features Programme. At the end of this month is Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori, so we'll be celebrating with Te Reo archival recording showing us just how far we've come. The Kohana Reo movement is nearly 30 years old, and according to Iritana Tawhifirangi, there are some constants that make it what it is. Of course there's changes, but there are some constants in the Māori world, and those constants are number one, Te Reo, number two, the whānau, number three, the hapu, number four, diwi. There's no limit to the heights that we can climb if we remember those four constants. Kia Anna Coddington is a Māori girl making waves in the music scene, which is pretty funny as she isn't into waves at all despite her upbringing in coastal settlement, Raglan. I'm scared of going out over my head in the ocean, but yeah, yeah. So you tried surfing but only in the shallows? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't really work because um, by the time you stand up, the wave's finished. So, you know, you're just kind of standing there on a surfboard and you're not really moving. So, yeah, surfing's not really my buzz. <laughs> We're with some kui at the Komatua Kapahaka that was at Te Papa last weekend. And what links Kahununu iwi with Rarotonga? Well, e te iwi, it's a waka. Taki timu o taki timu, that's coming up. Ko te mea tuatahi. The late Sam Friedman, he passed away a few weeks ago, is forever associated with Māori land classics such as Haere Mai, Pānia of the Reef and When My Wahine Does the Poi. That's thanks to his lifetime work as an arranger and composer of Waiata Māori. He worked with Pixie Williams, who's better known for having sung what we can hear there, Blue Smoke, as written by Ruru Kuraitiana. Started in the early 1980s, Kohana Reo have churned out hundreds of Te Reo-speaking preschoolers. While proponents of Kohanareo have often called it a Māori development initiative, it is effectively an early child movement. Recently, Kohana launched its strategic plan for the next 25 years. Ana Tapiata was at the launching of Te Ara Tuapai. Tahiro <laughs> Mate <laughs>
results, as I say, of what you, the districts when we went around, laid it very clear how unhappy you all were with the direction that the waka seemed to be going, away from the Māori cultural framework to one that didn't seem to have relevance. You have laid out what needs to be done. We've drawn it up, very simple, three kits. You'll read it, you'll enjoy it, and in conclusion, can I say, to the person who allowed us to have the korowai wrapped around this kaupapa, and mihi tēnei So folks, it's a wonderful time, exciting. Don't look as if the world's falling to pieces. Excitement. There was excitement in 1982 when they weren't quite sure what it was all about. The wonderful thing about it being excited, you haven't got time to think, now what did it say? What do we do? What do we... You just get on with it and you learn as you fly by the seat of your pants. And so this is another exciting time. Finally, someone said to me, here's a bit ambitious to talk about the next 25 years. How do you know what the next 25 years will be about? There's changes all the time. Of course there's changes, but there are some constants in the Māori world, and those constants are number one, te reo, number two, the whānau, number three, the hapu, number four, tiwi. There's no limit to the heights that we can climb if we remember those four constants. Kia ora tata. Gibson. Uh, I'm from uh, Ngāti Porou and I'm a, a kaiapu at uh, Ngā Whānau Whānau in Te Kohangareo in Tolaga Bay. And that's on the east coast of the North Island. Just in case you didn't know, yeah. the Kohangareo National Trust has just released its strategic plan for the next 25 years. What do you think of it? I think it's a mickey. It's about, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. We had to look to the past to be able to sort out where are we heading. So now that they've got this strategic planning, sit, we're going to move forward. Why are you confident about the future? Oh, because, because I think I'm staunch to the kaupapa, and I know as long as the will is there, hey... The world's your oyster. And if the will is within me to teach the mokopuna, and the mokopuna can see Nanny's trying out, Nanny's got the will to teach me, I'm going to learn. You had concerns about the direction of this kaupapa. Why? Because, to me, we were being smothered by rules and regulations from 
the ministry who don't who still to this day don't have a full understanding of the kaupapa and they need to get their heads out of the sand now i live and my kohang is near the sea and you know the sea is one of the the best resources that maori would can have but i can't even take my mokopuna there because we have to have a one on one which i think is crap because one mother takes her kids five kids to to the beach to have a swim to play in the sand safe as what gives you confidence that the strategic plan for the next 25 years will put the kaupapa in the direction that you think it should go in i'm only said i don't think i'll be here to see it really <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm no spring chicken, so I'm, you know, but no, I'm I'm confident that, you know, it's up to us at Kohanga to make sure that the Kopapa will survive for the next 25 years and beyond. So it's up to us, all of us in Kohanga, Kohanga Fano to lift the Kopapa. So it's my job to go out there and say to parents, "Hey, come on. We won't survive without your help." You know, you've got to be there. You've got to be help, helping us to drive this waka. We can't drive it on our own. So that's where it's going to happen with Fano. You know, getting Fano involved. featured Eri Mahimare Natihine Napuhi, a previous chief executive of the Māori Language Commission Te Tauraferi i Te Reo Māori, and the son of Tahi Mihinare and Rose Hinare. Aged 96 years old, the kuia passed away earlier this week. Moi mai e kui. They are making comparisons between this guest and Anika Moore. Melody Thomas asks how Anna Collington feels about that as well as how her upbringing has shaped her musically. My name's Anna Coddington, and uh, no ngāti tu wharetoa me te arawa. Aho, and um, yeah, I grew up in Raglan. Raglan and you're scared of waves? Oh, sort of only big ones. I'm scared of going out over my head in the ocean. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So you tried surfing but only in the shallows? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and it's like it doesn't really work because um, by the time you stand up, the wave's finished. So, you know, you're just kind of standing there on a surfboard and you're not really moving. So, 
yeah, surfing's not really my buzz. <laughs> Probably pretty good at standing up by now, but just maybe not yeah. the actual riding yeah, part. Yeah, I can, I can stand up, but I can't. I still can't get out far enough to actually get a ride in there. <laughs> yeah. So you grew up in Raglan? Yes. And you went to school in Hamilton, was it? Um, I went to school in Raglan till high school. I went to high school in Hamilton, yeah. And then you got shipped off to Hamilton, was it? Yes, kicking and screaming. <laughs> and that's where you started your first band? Um, yeah, high, high school I started my first band, yeah, about um, fifth form. Yeah. With two other girls. Fourth form, fourth form, fourth form. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you were all drummers. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how you first picked up the guitar, was it? Yeah, sort of. Um, I picked it up. Um, I started playing drums first when I was about eleven. I always wanted to play guitar as well, but I just um, it was more um, took a bit more wrangling to get someone to teach me <laughs> to play the guitar. Um, and. Uh, yeah, so I sort of knew a couple of songs anyway, which is why I ended up being the guitarist, because I was the only one that knew how to play anything at all on the guitar, but uh, yeah. And you guys did pretty well at that Rock Quest. Um, yeah, we did okay. Considering you just kind of knew a couple of songs on the guitar and went from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we kind of um, taught ourselves after that, really. Like, sort of, um, I started writing songs as soon as I learned how to play bar chords, basically, because you can play them anywhere. I just knew one shape and just knew that I could play it anywhere. So I just sort of moved my hand around and um, wrote a song thinking I'd written something really fancy, but it turns out it was just kind of like a really simple chord progression. But, um, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's how you learn. But it worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked. It worked. And that was, that was our first song, and we were really proud of it. <laughs> we thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs> did um, your dad teach you drums, did he? Yeah. That's right. From what Pete. age? 11. 11, yeah, when I was about 11. He came home with, um, he'd bought a drum kit off his friend Des, who lived in Auckland, and he brought it home and put it in the shed, and um, yeah, that was me. I was like, ooh, <laughs> what's that? It was a pretty sweet drum kit, from yes. what I hear. Yeah, pretty sweet, chromed out drum kit, massive kick drum. It's awesome, he's still got it, I still play it. It's awesome, yeah. So you're going to have to inherit that one and take it on tour with you. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. It needs a bit of TLC, a bit of a polish up and a bit of a, like, new skins and a bit of a tune-up and stuff, but it's a good kit. So were you singing most of the time or was it kind of a drums first, guitar then took yeah. up the singing? Yeah, the singing only came about because um, uh, cause I started writing songs, really. Like, yeah, um, and because, yeah, I've always liked singing, but I've never cared about it as much as drumming or playing guitar. Yeah, I still like it, um, but yeah, yeah, no, I love it, I love it, but yeah, it definitely came last, you know. How um, long have you been singing for like this? Ah, uh, what do you mean, like this? Well, in, <laughs> well, I guess you've been doing backing vocals for a while, haven't you? You worked with Anika and Bic and probably a whole lot of other people. Yep, yep, that's right. Um, yeah, I did start singing in my own band's first, so, um, yeah, with, with that first band, really, Handsome Jeffrey, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's so you wrote a song and you decided that was, that was it, you had to sing Yeah, it. it was like, yeah, pretty much. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, well, playing it on guitar, wrote it, got to sing it now. Toured internationally with Beck and with Anika as well? Um, not internationally with Nick's, only with Beck. Yeah. Right. And when are they going to be, you know, touring with you internationally? <laughs> um, 
Oh, when someone gives me a million dollars <laughs> and I can afford to tour internationally at all. <laughs> maybe you should open that fortune chocolate. It could be. Yeah, could who be knows? A maybe there's a million dollars in that fortune chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. So when did you start recording this album then? Um, in July last year. Yeah, pretty much. We did three rehearsals and took it from there, yeah. But um, before that, for about a year before that, I was doing the demos and writing and nutting out all the parts and stuff, yeah. When do you write? Do you write when you're on tour or when you're kind of sitting twiddling the thumbs at home? Never when I'm on tour. There's not really enough time or privacy on tour for me personally to write songs. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's when I'm... It's always in the downtimes when I'm just, you know, yeah, twiddling my thumbs and getting bored and stuff, yeah. Were you getting bored, were you? yeah. It was kind of when I got back from Beck's tour and I sort of had nothing going really. It was sort of that finished and I came back from the UK and just sort of had nothing, like no job, no house, no car, no money, no friends. No, <laughs> I had tons of friends, loads and loads of friends, really popular. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I sort of, you know, it was in that kind of vibe. So I wrote a lot of songs then, but, um, yeah, and then proceeded to develop them over the next year. And I think I read that you said um, you write boutique pop songs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you write these boutique pop songs about? Um, all sorts of things, really. Um, just whatever happens to be um, sort of plaguing my mind a bit, I guess. It's sort of um, things just bubble in there and just sort of distill themselves and come out as a song, really. Yeah. So it's all, I reckon it's a lot of it is... That, happens in your subconscious or for me anyway because so, I don't feel like I really I don't labour over songs I don't really think about them they just kind of come out you know which is um, yeah it's like they've already been sorted out back there somewhere in my head without me realising so you couldn't teach just... a songwriting 101 class perhaps <sighs> no I have been asked before to do like songwriting seminars and stuff like that but I've always said I just wouldn't know what to say I just like just pick up a guitar and see what happens. I don't know. Do you think you're born with that, with that in your subconscious, that songwriting ability? Um, I have no idea. I think it's definitely something you can hone, and I think it, the more you do it, the, the better you get at it. And I also think um, that the more you do it, the more is the e- easier it comes to you. Like the more naturally it comes to you. I find when I'm writing lots of songs, more songs come out. But yeah, if I haven't been doing a lot, it's a bit clunky or something, I don't know, like I might get a verse and a chorus and um, they'd not quite be able to finish it, you know, it flows better when you've been doing it more. For me, everyone's different though. Have you got things floating around in the back of your head now for whatever's happening next? Uh, Sound check, yep. (laughs) But it's not songy things, it's all logistical nightmare things. (laughs) Come now Baby, let's bite the bullet and call this what we both know it is Every woman has been the love of your life But you made me your wife Cause you just got So you've been touring with this album for how long now? Um, since June the 5th We did the first show in Auckland on June the 5th And um, what's today? The 20th So just over two weeks And how's it going? Yeah, really good Yeah, really, really good It's been heaps of fun It's been nice um, to finally be playing the songs live with the band and stuff, you know? Yeah. Really Three really days of rehearsal before you went in to record it. That's pretty extraordinary, but I know you've got a pretty extraordinary band yep. behind you. Exactly, yeah. So um, that made it a whole lot easier. Yeah, so 
definitely. It was it was good. It made it more magic almost because it was really like, you know, just like no no time to think too hard about it, and it was all really natural and you know like just real sort of fly by the seat of your pants but sometimes that's the best one mm. you know and you're yeah. really happy with the outcome then oh yeah I love it yeah totally happy with it it's like but guys like that um like if anything you don't want to rehearse them too much because they're so good they don't need it and as soon as uh you don't want things to get boring because then people don't have the love for it you know and they don't and that I think that can come through a lot so, yeah. You would have rehearsed by yourself a bit then. Oh, no, I'm the same too. Yeah, I don't need much rehearsal either. <laughs> but, you know, when things get boring, it's everyone can see that and hear that. So, yeah, you just want to, you want to keep a bit of um, sort of, you know, spontaneity in there. Yeah. So I was going to ask what next for you, but apart, you know, is your mind just on site sound check right now? Or can you think about it? Can you cast um, your mind further forward than that? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I've got to finish this tour, and then um, I'm doing another tour with Aneka, I'm playing support for her on her tour, which will be really cool, actually. I'm looking forward to that. And um, I, I pretty much am keen to start working on another album, really. Like, keep touring this one, because this one's still, you know, cool fun. And But I want to start working on the next one soon, so that... Because, I don't know, like, this album took two years to make, really, and get out, you know. Um, so I don't want to spend a year touring this one and thinking about this one and then start on the next one so it'll be like three years between you know like I want to start on it as soon as possible and so keep fresh things happening fresh ideas and keep excited about it all and stuff so yeah that and a combination of doing that new stuff and um, just keeping on with the stuff and playing shows and um, hopefully do another tour before the end of the year and one of summer why not <laughs> why not yeah why not play all the time and in between um, write and record it's perfect that sounds really good yeah I'll do that <laughs> you are reading to this too much can't you see that the sun is shining if the seaside is not Coddington, North Tufareto, Te Arawa, talking with Melody Thomas. Okay, pop quiz. Māori only became Māori on arrival and settlement in Aotearoa, and the Hawaii often heard in formal speeches is not the Hawaii of 5 O or Thomas Magnum PI fame. Hawaiki nui, hawaiki urua, hawaiki pao mamao is a phrase often used in formal speeches, acknowledging the places many ancestors of Māori come from. Our Māori oral histories are rich with reminders of those links, as evidence in the naming of landmarks in Aotearoa that existed already in the islands of the Pacific. For example, Hikurangi Maunga of Ngāti Iwi, a mountain of a similar name as in Rarotonga. Our language similarities, what is tahirua here is talilua somewhere else. Aloha in Hawaii is aroha in Aotearoa. And whakataki tumu from Rarotonga is taki timu waka in Aotearoa. 
A number of iwi came from Takitimu, the largest being Kahununu, and a cultural festival coming up in November in Hastings celebrates those ties. Teopira H. Rauna explains his role in the festival to Alma Maua. Um, my role is that I'm the co-mata for the Kahununu people that are living in um, uh, Te Whanganui Atara, or as we all know, the Greater Wellington area, which also includes Palmerston North. And uh, this is known as a Todahere group, or a group that has um, moved away from the home homelands. And we number about 8,500 here in that area. So I'm sitting on the board as the co-mata, and um, my role is to be able to um, talk to people uh, at all ages, particularly young ones, and to families, and also to communicate with um, the in, um, in the terms of the Takitimu Festival, mm-hmm. is to engage with all the Takitimu people that actually live here in the Greater Wellington TLA, including Palmerston North, and that in means we are now building bridges uh, directly with Sonny Hosking, mm-hmm. who has been um, um, uh, who's, who's become a part of the Takitumu team or Takitumu team here in Wellington. So we all know that the Waka was um, built in Samoa. And so I'm waiting for um, a Samoan co-mata that wants to join our team as well. So we're looking at adding in Tahiti and uh, and the islands that have relationships with Takitima. In Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, ourselves as Wellington, as a Wellington board, we uh, also, uh, we opened the, uh, we were witness the launch of the Takitima Festival in Parliament. Um, that was um, uh, opened by uh, Judith Tizard, who's the Associate Minister of Arts and Culture. Right. So Ngāti Kahununu's connections with the Takitumu Waka? Uh, the Tamatea Rikinui left um, um, Raratunga about 1300 AD under a chief called Tamatea Rikinui. And also with three um, priests whose names were Tupai, Rongopātahi, Pūtahi, and Ruafaro. These three priests had certain kits of knowledge, and their main role was to provide the uh, brain, the brain power for the uh, captain of the canoe, Tamatia Rikinu. And you could say that they were the computer database, and that Tamatia was the keyboard. <laughs> for navigating the waka uh, from Laratunga to New Zealand. The, when, before the um, three tuhunga uh, left on the waka, they went to the Panama Isthmus, and they were taught by a priest over there called Tumu Whakaira, who gave them the knowledge of uh, how to get to New Zealand. And um, these uh, three brothers... Um, uh, having received that knowledge, um, came uh, here to um, New Zealand. In in our language, we talk about uh, when our people die, we say Haere ki Tafitinui, Tafitiroa, and Tafitinui is the great 
distant land, uh, Tawhiti Roa, the long distant land, Tawhiti Pāmamao, the long ancient homeland, and then we say Te Hono Ki Ngā Wai Irua, which is the joining of the two great oceans, the Atlantic and the Pacific. That joining is known as the Panama Isthmus. And so there you have a, a relationship between America and the voyage of the Takitumu Waka. Wonderful. Gee, that's fantastic. Give me goosebumps. But the thing is, um, let's go into this festival. So the idea for bringing the two together in, in you know, with the Takitumu Festival and Ngāti Kahonu, Nunu, tell us a little bit about that and, and what people can expect. Um, the uh, main event is going to be held in November and the uh, the expectations are is that the uh, tribes from Ngaitahu uh, who have the Takitumu Waka in Southland at the Takitumu Ranges uh, will be present um, as well as the far north in North Auckland and also the Tainui people who um, um, whose ancestor Mahina Rangi came from Kahununu. So um, it's it's about culture, and it's about uh, kapahaka, it's about fakairo, it's about contemporary arts, it's about poetry, it's about literature, it's about music, and it's about music and the performing arts. It's about also about economic um, uh, think tanking and how we can build our economic relationships on a cultural foundation. This is fantastic. Is this a first, uh, Teo? Uh, in the, uh, this is a first in terms of a launch out of um, um, Wellington mm-hmm. uh, Parliament. Uh, the only equivalent uh, launch in Parliament was the Hui Tomata of 1984, which was held in Parliament. And um, I see this as a... As a um, a step up on where we have been since 1984 when uh, Kahununu first formed their Runanga Nui. The original Runanga Nui that was formed in 1984 was called Te Runanga Nui or Takitumu. And its prime aim, uh, led by its architects, uh, the Komatua, was to bring, to do exactly what we're doing today, to bring the entire islands together and the, the entire Māori groups that have a relationship with Takitumu. Right, that, that sounds absolutely fantastic. So, at the end of the day, what is it you hope to achieve? What is what is your expectations by bringing everybody together that's that's associated with with the Takitumu? Uh, our expectations is that our mokopunas and our families can be assisted to know who they are, to know where they're going, to understand their choices but most of all to be well-connected to their ancestors and thereby become strong people in a very challenging world. Mm, when, so it's all about the family. Exactly, Teo. And finally, when you look at the years that have passed under the oceans and, and across the oceans from, the, from when they first left Rarotonga, would you say then that the relationship between your Aotearoa people and our Kazi bros in, in, the, in the Cook Islands is still very much strong? Uh, it's very much strong, so because uh, in 1934, Pa Ariki's um, uh, great grandfather, King Tinido, came to Whakaki and he gifted a waka haurua, a double hole waka model called Taki Timu, 
to the, the Whakaki people. And then in 1978, um, Pa's mother, Pa Tiritu Ariki, came to Takitimu, uh, Marae, where she was greeted by uh, Padre Wihuata, Te Okanga Huata, Horace Whanga, and um, Turi Tapuki. Very, very solid Takitimu people, and that was the joining of the bridges uh, uh, in 1978. And then now, uh, well, Pa was uh, invited to our um, treaty settlement for our fisheries in 2006, where she came with uh, Sir Tom Davis uh, and uh, her um, uh, Puavai uh, to witness uh, where Kahununu was going, but also to jump on the waka with us, but also to bring Pa's cousins with her. It's uh, the Tamarus and Tahiti, and also her, her, her whakapapa connections into Samoa. And so this is about genealogy. Right. And without that, I mean, if we have no past, we have no future. So we're really looking forward to this festival in, um, oh, where's it going to be held? Uh, it's going to be held in Hastings. Yeah. Um, what uh, uh, Pa and I, uh, the relationship between Pa and I is... N- is also because um, I was the one that organised the welcome to Pa's mother in 1978, the Takitimu. And so I've, um, I had a connection with Pa Tiri till then. And, and, um, and having met Pa two years ago, we, um, we have a brother and sister relationship in terms of where do our ancestors want us to take our people. I'm Mariah Rakraku and that was Alma Maua with Chopira Rona talking about an upcoming festival in November. There's information at radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Tiahika. Etiwi from the twenty first of July to the twenty seventh of July it is drumroll please Tewiki Otereo Māori. This year the theme is Māori in the home. We've got a lesson in vowel sounds coming up that you may want to practice, that's in a moment. But before that, here's a recording from 1979, featuring John Rangiho nor Nai Tsuhoi, with Hardy Williams interviewing. Harry Danzi nor Te Arawa reciting his poem, Te Reo Māori, starts off. Māori language is important to me because it's my language of expression. It is my language of communication. It is my language of direction. It's my language of paternal expression. And it is my language of teaching. The Māori language, which is totally New Zealand and found nowhere else in the world, yet 
moves in the past to retain its dignity and continuity have often been frustrated. Te reo Māori, a way in which New Zealanders can express their distinctiveness in a world searching for an identity. Te reo Māori, a way of communicating and a way of getting inside Māoritanga. Yet, how many New Zealanders attempt to learn Māori for communication? John Rangiho of Waikato University comments. Inga wehi, inga mana, inga tapu, inga whakamataku o tewi Māori. Ina homaina e whakarongomaina kūtū. Tēnā rā kūtū i tēnei rā e mahi nei tātou i ngā mahi. E mahi nei ngā tamariki nei i te ahuatanga o te whakatakoto i tō tātou reo. O tia i tuatu i tō tātou reo, kai hea te mea nui ke atu i tānei kōrerora. Ko te mea nui rā hauki, he tangata, he tangata, he tangata. O te wiki te rei o te reo Māori, i ngā iwi whakarongo mai. O te wiki te nei o te reo Māori, i ngā iwi whakarongo mai. A century or so ago, educationalists widely held the view that Māori language stood in the path of civilization. While this view is still present, it is contested, however, by its present advocates. Since 1972, Māori Language Week began as a one-day affair to mark the importance of Māori language in New Zealand society generally. In 1975, the Māori language was given official recognition by the Department of Education and one of its prominent advocates is Toby Rikihana. Any community in this country which ignores the presence, the fact of a language is a very uneducated community. I would say too that um, particularly amongst our young people there's a growing awareness of Māori language, not only language uh, in itself but in the other aspects associated with language, values, and they are far keener than they used to be to learn something about Māori language and culture. You speak about language and also an understanding of the language, culture, for example. Which would you place first, language or an appreciation of the culture? I would place language first as a teacher. But the only thing which persists is the language, and that should be the main theme into which are slotted in uh, arts, crafts, songs, history and so forth. Nara koutou katoua. Tēnā koe. Koe tō ingoa. Ko shilei tōku ingoa. Kei whia tō kura? Ko hiwi au kura te ingoa o tōku kura. I whānau koe i whia? I whānau ahau ki ngā shore. Hea ngā tākaro pai ki a koe, Shelley? He pai ki ahau te tākaro kauhoi. Any language program must be oral. I believe that, uh, as any person who thinks about it uh, would believe, that you learn first through hearing. Then you repeat or you imitate, then you listen and you imitate. And uh, as you have uh, noticed, our program at this school is uh, 98% oral. Any command, any instruction, 
anything asked of the children uh, is repeated by the children before they carry out the instruction. One of the drawbacks in teaching most languages up to today, up to the present time, has been that the teacher has been the questioner and the children have been the passive learners. So as a consequence, too many children read other languages but they can't speak it. Listen as you can to all our audio at our website radionz.co.nz forward slash teahika. Ko Maraya Rakrakuo, kete fakarongo mai ko tau ki a teahika. Fakahuatia e nei rangi kōrero e muri yahau. A A E E I I O O U U Ma Ma Me Me Mi me, mo, mo, mu, mu, na, na, ne, ne, ni, ni, no, no, nu, nu, ha, ha, he, 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 ho, ho, hu, hu, fa, fa, fe, fe, fi, fi, fo, fo, fu. Kapai, kapai tamariki ma. Fakahuatia in a kupu imuri yahau. Haire, haire. Tangi, tangi. Tamariki, tamariki. Fanau, fanau. Kaumatua, kaumatua. Last weekend at Te Papa, the Museum of Wellington, there was a celebration of Komatua Kapahaka. Now, it was loud and fabulous. Over the next few weeks, we'll be hearing some of those performances, starting with Te Waipo Namu. Ko aroha hohi pera reriti haifin croft, tōku ingoa no tuahiwi, te, te pā o ngaitahu. Oh, we, we, we are the... Uh, yeah. Te kapahaka kaumātua o ngaitahu. <laughs> so you must be a busy rōpū then, eh? Get to go We've, all around the Waipaunamu? We have been highly excited. We, we started uh, just before Anzac Day. Uh, we got the word that there was no one from ngaitahu here for this kapahaka. And so I said to my cousins, my sisters, my whanau, what about it? And they have loved it. They have loved working with me. They, we have worked together. We've had a load of fun. Um, and all of it is in memory of our Uncle Teari, Pitama, and our Auntie Wai, his sister. Now, they were composers Aye. of Waiata, Kaitahu Waiata. Aye. And so what are some of the better-known Waiata that they composed? Uh, well, for, we, we have brought two treasures with us. Um, one Puke Karaka was the waiata, his last waiata that he composed, um, and he never saw it uh, performed. Um, and they they sang it at uh, at a huiaranga way back in about 1958. So I wanted us to relearn that, and so that it keeps. You, you see, I spoke to to my runanga and said we have to set in a transition um, 
transition type of uh, program so that before we depart, we must teach our kids, our next generation, um, what we have been taught. So what he taught us as, as children, as tamariki, um, we want to pass that on to our, our tamariki, our mokopuna, before we depart. So that's, that was the original intention. Motivation. Oh, and motivation. So this, this taikura came up and we were already going on just relaxation type of learning what our Uncle Teari and Auntie Wai had taught us. And then this came on with a, whoa, we better get going and <laughs> do things, you know, pretty quickly. So I presented the repertoire to, to the whanau. Uh, they said, yep, we'll go with it. You're in the rōpū that's, that's come from Te Waipaunamu? Uh, I am. A very lucky one to be on the route, but I, for tōpūing rōpū, te ruahine. Oh, kia ora te ruahine. How long have you been involved with the rōpū for? My rāno, way back, way back, way back. And do you have weekly practices? Oh, kā, we we picked up for the well, basically for this, as far as I'm aware. But I think it was a planned process to bring back um, very much to Aloha Reddity's credit to bring back um, our Waiata Bowl, the past, to, to commemorate those who have written for us. And this, for this journey, it was Te Aritawa Pitama, and Komati, and it was 1958. And, and, and he, he gave his life to teaching our young kids from home at Tuahiri. Um But I wasn't there as a child, but the front row were. Um, but I've been there for nearly 60 years now. I do come from there, but I lived out, out. I taught up North Island and married back into my home people. So I've been there doing the cultural work for 15, 50, 50. Nine years this year we were married, my husband and I. We're relations too. We're both Waitangi. We both love culture. We both love Fana. And to have the privilege to come back and rejuvenate with this beautiful uh, Kopapa. So it must be lovely because you're the iwi that has. Um, you're the manafinua here at the moment for the Te Papa I, exhibition. I, we are. It must be lovely to have so many of your whanaunga here this I, weekend. Yeah. We needed it. And I love what your rōpū is wearing. All you ladies have these very fashionable, very suave, red, bright crimson scarves on. We love red. We love... love, uh, It acknowledges for us the time of the um, the time when our our komal, our beautiful women our beautiful tower taught us 
not only on the the, the tikang of the marae and the, we learn the you know the the waiata nor tuahiwi they all ta- also taught us to remain to remain dignified to remain uh, uh, from the heart so we acknowledge them when you see us must be nice eh, to perform on stage with your parents oh yeah tino paro atiti Matua, I hear um, just really, really humbling to be able to see my parents. Yeah, crying material really. Yeah, because no, you just know, you know, karungu all of that. Were you brought up in a kapahaka household? Oh yeah. Yes. Yes, I was. <laughs> Five of us, and that, we lived it. And how many of you of the Fano from Te Waipanumi came over um, for this weekend? Oh, gee, toko maha rātai. Karo te tino mohi o toko he rātai. E harapai. Engari, e noho au i te māhia. Noko nei nei. Oh, māhia. Ah, e te māhia. Yeah. Oh, so this is nice. They get to see mum and dad. Very, very nice. So these are the odd occasions where those of us who live here in Te Kaanaui, these are the odd occasions that we can come together with our with our. Our aunties, our uncles, our mums, Stop and our dads. Stop it, girl. You're going to make me cry. Stop <laughs> it. Ko te Māori o te mana Māori. The Māori language is the life force of Māori. Ko Justin Murray tēnei, ko ngai te rangi me ngā tirangi nui o ku iwi. Ko ngai tamarawaho me ngai tūkairangi o ku hapu. Ko mauau te maunga, Justine Murray, you'll be hearing from her again, Etiwi, as she joins me as the co-host and producer of Te Ahikā. Hoi anō ko marae a rakaraku tēnei, he mihi māhana ki nga kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. He mihi atu ki a koutakatoa, Etiwi, mai Te Ahikā ki a tātou katoa, Mauriora.